Uh, if you're here today and you're single and you're a guy and you're excited or at least interested in getting married at some point, uh, I would really encourage you uh, to listen up today because the woman that we're going to be talking about uh, is the woman that you want to be pursuing. Uh, I think generally speaking, a lot of single guys uh, go after what they're going to be most attracted to, an outward appearance or uh, a common interest or like, and that's about it. Uh, the woman that we talk about today uh, is the woman that you are uh, wanting to and desirous to be uh, pursuing. Uh, husbands, uh, like I said last week, it was just for you, uh, and hopefully it was pretty clear that you have um, a, a God-given role in the marriage relationship. Guys, if you weren't here last week, take the time to, to watch or to listen to what was said, uh, because last week was all about what your role in the marriage relationship. Uh, but to the married men here, uh, I would say this, um, what's said today, what's shared today about your wife's role in this marriage relationship is not to be taken uh, as a bat to beat her. Uh, it's not to be an ammunition of you jab her and say, well, why aren't you doing this? And what's going on here? And why are you falling short here? Uh, my heart for you today is this is a portrait of the biblical wife and what God's call role on your wife is. But your job is to lovingly, sacrificially lead and serve so that she can enter into fully uh, this role. Uh, so listen up, because this is not just ammunition for you. Uh, this is for you so that you can say, I want to help us get to uh, this place. Uh, to the single women uh, that are here, and I realize not everyone who's single desires to be married, but if you are female and desirous uh, to be married, my heart for you today would be pretty, pretty simple, is that you would be really established in not just wanting to be married, but really being committed to being a wife. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of women who just want to get married. Uh, they want to have someone ask them the question, they want the ring on their finger, and they want that status, as it were, of, I'm a married person now. Uh, but my challenge to you, my invitation, start working now on becoming a wife. Uh, so as you hear what a, the role of a biblical wife is, uh, check your own heart of, are there things that I just need to repent of now, things that I re need to repent of today? Uh, maybe it's a wrong attitude of, towards God, a wrong attitude towards men, a wrong attitude towards what my perceived understanding of my role in a future relationship is going to look like. Uh, so that when you do say, I do, you're not confused, but you're convinced of, I know what my role is, I've embraced that, and I've already been working uh, towards that. Um, I want to, before I just kind of walk through, I'm excited Kyla's here today. She's going to come up in a little bit and kind of share how her role and how she's understood that and lived that out in our marriage. Uh, but I mentioned this last week. It's just worth saying again. Uh, we're talking about biblical roles in marriage. Men, you have a specific role uh, in the marriage relationship. We talked about that last week. And women, wives, you have a specific God-given role uh, in the marriage relationship. I wanted to make clear that um, roles are not like God's plan B. Uh, roles were established uh, before man rebelled against God. Uh, God did not give the man a role and the woman a role after they sinned and said, well, as a result of your sin and your rebelling, rebellion, women, this is what you're going to have to do, and men, this is what you're going to have to do. God established the role for the man and the role for the woman before sin ever entered the picture. And if this is God's best, or if this is plan A, that means this is God's best. And so my heart would be embrace. This is God's gift to us. This is God's best for us. I sounded like five people there. Are we there? 
Um, so this is plan A. Embrace that as God's best, God's gift uh, to you. Uh, I'd say, secondly, roles do not reflect a person's value, significance, or worth. Men and women created equal, we both bear the same image of God. So your role is not symbolic of, well, that's my significance, value, or worth in God's sight. Uh, I like how this one uh, author said it. Uh, Betsy Rucci said, To God, a role is never a measure of someone's value. It's an expression of divine order and wisdom. God uses roles, they are means, for God to accomplish his purpose. So God is trying to do something in the marriage relationship. He's trying to create a healthy, enjoyable, God-honoring, beneficial relationship. And so he's established a role for the man and a role for the woman. Um, Let me ask this question. I don't think any one of us would say, well, Jesus was less than God. Um, Meaning, was Jesus like JV? Uh, Was he something below God? I want to read this verse, and it says, 1 Corinthians, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and then the head of Christ is God. So is Jesus somehow less than God because he submitted himself to God? Scripture makes crystal clear, absolutely not. Jesus is absolute, fully God. Uh, the, The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, are all equal. They are equally God. Uh, but they all play and have a unique role uh, in how they relate to one another. Specifically, Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, not because he was less or inferior somehow, but because he understood what his role was. Um, I like how, if you haven't picked up the book yet, I'd encourage you to do so. It's called Real Marriage. You can get a copy after church. Uh, But co-author and wife of Mark Driscoll, Grace Driscoll, said this, Men and women were created with equal worth but different roles. God created and called the man to lead and to love his wife. And when he doesn't do that in a holy way, he is sinning. I want you to catch that, men. He is sinning. Uh, She goes on to say, God created the woman to help and respect her husband. And when she doesn't do that in a holy way, she is sinning. So if we reject our God-given roles in the marriage relationship, husbands, That is, first and foremost, a sin against God, and secondly, a sin against your wife. Now, wives, as we walk through what your role is in the marriage relationship, if you reject this, it's first and foremost a sin against God. And then secondly, if you are married, this is a sin against your husband. Roles are a really big deal because God's trying to accomplish something for our benefit and good, but for his glory, and he's given us uh, specific roles. Women. This is your role. If you were to encapsulate what your role is in the marriage relationship, you could sum it up in one word, and the word would just be helper. Uh, If you go back to uh, the book of Genesis, in the beginning, before the fall, this is what God said in Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. What is the role of a wife? It's to be the helper, to not complete her husband, but to complement him. So the wife's role is to literally help or literally come alongside her husband. Now, I know when we 
hear the word helper immediately, maybe this is not everyone, but generally speaking, we think of helper, well, that's inferior. That's somehow something less. I want you to understand uh, two things about what it means to be helper, that it's not JV and it's not less. Uh, God himself actually refers to himself as helper. So being a helper is actually a reflection of the character of God. And by the way, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Uh, Psalms uh, chapter 10, verse 14. But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are, same word, helper to the fatherless. And then the author of Hebrews actually quotes uh, Psalm 118, but he says this uh, in, so, in Hebrews. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. God is not somehow less because he is our helper. So wives, if your role is, is, is as helper, that is a reflection of the character of God, which is a good thing which you can embrace. Uh, I'd say secondly, being a helper it should actually humble you, not stir pride or discontent or any of those emotions. It should stir humility. The fact that God would want to use you, a sinful person, in anyone's life to encourage them, to love them, to inspire them, to bless them is an amazing thing. That should humble any one of us. But the fact that God wants to use you in the most significant way to come alongside the man that you love more than anyone should cause great gratitude towards God and great humility towards your husband of, wow, I am privileged that I get to be used by God to help you. Now, being a helper means that you are to use how God has uniquely gifted you. All of the women in here, you are uniquely gifted by God. You are very different than men in many ways, but you individually have unique gifts that God has given you. You are to use how God uniquely gifted you to bless him. So the individual that should benefit most from how your God-given gifts is your husband. Not someone else, not some other work or ministry, or the person who should benefit most from your God-given giftedness is your husband. He's placed you, planted you in his life to come alongside, to help, to use your giftedness uh, to support, to encourage him. Now, that's the one word that I would encapsulate the role of a wife in marriage. Uh, the man is, is called to sacrificially serve and to, and to lead, but the wife is to be the helper, not something less, but to complement. Um, I want to share, hopefully pretty quickly, because I'm excited for Kyla to come up and share, uh, three ways that you can practically understand the role of helper. So I'm going to give you three very specific ways of how helper is communicated and understood and taught in Scripture. Number one, if you would be a helper to your husband, number one is that you would be beautiful. You'd be a helper, you would be beautiful. Now, I can't see all of your eyes, women, but I'm going to guess there was something in you when you initially heard me say that or see that on the screen it just pinches a nerve. See, this is just another guy saying, I got to have some outward appearance that my husband is pleased with me. My hair looks a certain way. My, I'm a certain size. Women, let me just ask you this question. If it means that you would be a helper 
And being a helper to your husband means beautiful. Do you know what it means to be beautiful? I think most women understand and know what culture dictates and says beauty is. It's skin deep. It is what you look like. It is your intelligence. It is your pedigree, as it were. It's your appearance. That's what our culture says beauty looks like. Men, I know we don't get this, but we need to understand this as best as we can. It is painful for women to grow up in the culture that we currently live. The demands that women must look a certain way, have a certain size to her body, a certain length to her hair, a certain style and look about her is just absolutely overwhelming. So women, let me ask you again, do you actually understand what it means to be beautiful? I challenge you, if you do not have an answer to that question, you will be plagued with insecurity. And if you bring insecurity about beauty into the marriage relationship, it will begin to corrode quickly the marriage relationship. So women, do you know what it means to be beautiful? Um, This is what scripture says biblical beauty is. There's a few verses from Proverbs and then from 1 Peter. Proverbs 31, a wife, noble character, who can find? Listen to the description. We're talking about nobility and her character. She is worth far more than rubies. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, charm is and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Charm is it's it's a breath. It's fleeting, it's a mist. Beauty, I love how it says beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. He goes on in 1 Peter, or a different verse in 1 Peter, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. The big idea of these verses is is pretty simple. Biblical beauty is wrapped around your character. Namely, that you would be a woman who fears the Lord, who has a sense of awe and wonder of who God is, of who Jesus is. And secondly, is that you would be a woman who puts my hope is in God. My hope is in the promises of God. Now, I love what, how it describes this type of beauty. If you would be beautiful, this is what beauty says, or it says of this type of beauty. It's of great worth, and it's worthy of praise. So guys, if you want to praise a woman, you do not praise her because you're physically attracted to her. You see her character and say, God, I give you thanks for her character. I'd say, secondly, the beauty is inward, which means that it is unfading regardless of age. Now, some women, when you hear, it says in 1 Peter, uh, beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. I would want you to know that this does not mean that a beautiful woman is a woman who doesn't talk or a woman who just stays at home and says nothing and only speaks when spoken to. Do you know, women, when it says that beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, it just means that you are a woman at peace. You are a woman that is free of anxiety, a woman that is free of worry, a woman that is free of fear. So, women, are you beautiful? 
I would, my heart for all women here, single or married, is that you would wrap your mind around the biblical definition and understanding of what it means to be beautiful. A woman who fears the Lord and her hope, her trust is in the Lord. And I like how it said in 1 Peter, uh, for this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God. They used to make themselves beautiful. Meaning this is not something that you either have or you don't have. This is something that you grow in. So women, if you would grow in biblical beautification, if you would make yourself beautiful, uh, how do you do that? I could give you a, a list of things, but I'll just give you one. If you would grow in beauty, you would need to be a woman who is in the Word daily. A woman who is just engaged, heart and mind, in Scriptures every single day. That Scriptures is shaping you, correcting you, encouraging you, reminding you, freeing you. If you are not in Scriptures, and I mean daily studying, enjoying, embracing, memorizing, internalizing God's Word, you'll be very confused as to who you are. But as you are in God's Word, you're being shaped in beauty because you're being reminded of who you are because this is what God says of you. Now, women, this is something that you are going to have to fight for. No one can make you beautiful. This is an investment that you need to make. Husbands, you need to help with this. You need to encourage this. You need to create time and space where your wife or future wife can become beautiful by being shaped and formed, encouraged, blessed, convicted, inspired by the word. But women, at the end of the day, this is an investment that you need to make in becoming beautiful. Now, I know a lot of women say, well, Michael, you don't get my schedule. I'm busy. I'm either working. I have kids. I have this. I have that. I have too many responsibilities. I don't have time to, to do this and spend time in the Word. I'll give you two things. If you have time, 10 minutes every day to spend on Facebook, and if you have 10 minutes to give yourself to Pinterest, you've got plenty of time to spend time with God and His Word. One of Kyla's greatest gifts to me is her beauty. Not in what I see, but in who she's becoming. I think Kyla is absolutely, physic, absolutely physically beautiful, but her greatest gift to me is her commitment to be beautiful and having her character shaped and formed by God through his word. She's going to share in a little bit of how misplaced beauty has not only hindered her and hurt her, but actually how it's had an impact on our relationship. Women, please, if you would be a helper and you'd grow in this being a helper, you'd be committed to being beautiful. Single or married, make sure your understanding of biblical or beauty is biblical. Because anything other than that is going to lead you to be so insecure about who you are, what you've done, what you've accomplished, what you've not accomplished, and what you look like. Be free from insecurity because you're committed to biblical beauty. Secondly, second way that a wife is called to be a helper, number one, was be beautiful. Number two is this, be submissive. That just means recognize that the husband is the leader or the head of the relationship. Now, if Scripture is clear on our equality, then why do we automatically assume that a wife's submission means that she is somehow inferior or somehow less? I would just simply say our pride, the sin of pride just seeps in and says, well, because I'm being told to submit, that means I'm somehow less. 
um, less important. What's odd to me is that we get submission in our culture. If a cop pulls you over, your first thought is, wow, he's pulling me over because I'm just less of a person. Or you pick whatever the role in society is, we get that people have roles and we submit ourselves to those roles, not because they have greater value or worth than we do. We just understand that's, that's his or her role in my life. That's it. Now, when we hear the word submission, I would just want you to get into your head and heart. This is not a statement about your worth. This is a statement about what your role is. Every time in the New Testament, Scripture talks about the role of a wife, submission is always mentioned. Here's just two passages uh, as an example. Colossians says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Again, this is God's role for you in your marriage relationship. To reject that would be sin against God and against your husband. So in hopes to help you understand what this is, let me first explain what it is not. I would say, first, biblical submission does not mean uh, these things. Know this, God is your ultimate authority, your husband is not. God is your ultimate authority. So wives... If you are in an abusive relationship or your husband is causing you or leading you to sin, you do not submit to that. Your ultimate authority is God, not your husband's. So if there is abuse physically, emotionally, sexually, if there is causing you to sin or he's sinning on you, you do not submit to that. You turn him in. Whether it's literally to the legal authorities or to a spiritual authority. I would say this, uh, the call to submit does not mean you are less, that you are not as gifted, that you are not as competent, competent, that you are not as intelligent as your husband. This is a role, this is not about worth. I would say submission is not about dominance or dictatorship. Husbands, if you are using words like dominance and dictatorship over your wife, you are in sin. First against God, second against your wife, you need to repent. Biblical submission has nothing to do with dominance and being a dictator. I would say submission does not mean you agree with everything your husband does or doesn't do. Submission does not mean you just kind of stand back and and watch everything fall apart. God has uniquely placed you in his life to encourage, to support, to help, to use your God-given giftedness to come alongside him. So it doesn't mean you just stand there idly waiting for direction. This is what I would say submission is. Submission, I've already mentioned this, I think, but it reflects the Trinity, the Godhead, which means submission doesn't flow from a broken spirit. It doesn't flow from, fine, if I have to do this, I'll do it. It flows from a spirit that loves. I would say submission is not, I have to do this. Rather, it flows from a heart that says, man, I really want to see my husband prosper. I want to see my husband flourish. I want to see my husband be the type of leader that God has called him to be. How can I help that? How can I encourage that? How can I support that? I would say submission means that you follow his lead or you follow his initiative. I like actually how John Piper said it. Submission is the divine calling of a wife 
to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Wives, I just want you to see this. God has placed you in his life for a reason. Because you are so uniquely gifted in ways that he's not. And God loved you enough to place you in his life to help, to encourage, to support. Now, for Kyla uh, and I, submission has not been necessarily seen in these big decisions that we're making every single day. I'm like, Kyla, you just need to submit to this. Honestly, and Kyla will share this in a little bit, uh, what submission really has looked like for us is it's just a posture of humility that she has. Kyla really wants to see our marriage work. She really wants to see our marriage flourish. She really wants to see our home and our family be healthy, God-honoring, enjoyable, beneficial, meaningful. And she's taken the posture of humility of, how can I help foster this in our home? What do you need from me in order to create this atmosphere environment in our home? Now, I've seen many wives, um, they compete for what was not given to them. Wives, if you are trying to lead in your home, you are grabbing something that was not given to you. If you are trying to compete with your husband for the position of leadership, it's going to lead to a really unhealthy relationship. It's not only dishonoring to God because he didn't give that role to you. That's not your job. He's given that to your husband, not because he's better, not because he's smarter, not because he's more gifted, but because that's God's role for your husband. Do not compete for this position. Seek to complement the role that your husband has of, how can I help? Now, what happens a lot is when wives are competing with their husbands for that role, that position of leadership, is you've got a husband who is absolutely defeated, and you've got a husband who's leaderless. So I know some of the wives in here, if you haven't been thinking already, well, what if your husband's not a leader? What if your husband is not biblically honoring God in his role, honoring you in his role uh, to lead, to sacrifice? What if your husband's a silent guy? What if he's the passive guy? What if he doesn't have a leadership bone in his body? What are you supposed to do then? Because this is the reality of a lot of marriages. Wives are frustrated with their husbands because he doesn't initiate. He doesn't lead. He's not taking the relationship, the family, any any particular place. So what do you do? Well, what you would do is, let me ask you a few questions. If this is your frustration, your concern, your observation, question number one to the wives, and this is for single women as well, you need to have an answer to this. Are you actually followable? I don't know if that's a word, but followable, followable. Do you follow? Are you willing to follow? Sometimes it's, your husband is trying to lead, but you actually don't have that spirit that says, I'm willing to follow, because you're still trying to compete for the leadership. His leadership might look very different than how you would do it, and that's okay. That's how God's wired him and gifted him. But are you actually willing to follow, submit to his initiative, to his leadership? I'd ask you secondly, do you support his leadership? I mean, do you communicate often to your husband of, I'm really thankful when you take the initiative in this, or I'm really thankful and grateful for your leadership in this area. Do you support his leadership? Actively communicate verbal support for his leadership. This might be a hard question, but 
Are you actually a winsome wife? There are a lot of wives who are just bitter and they're angry and they're frustrated, resentful towards their husband. Well, if you're carrying any of those emotions, you need to repent of that. First to God, secondly to your husband. Why? Because God's called you to forgive as you've been forgiven. So carrying around anger, bitterness, resentment towards your husband, well, first of all, I'd say that is really difficult to lead someone who's like that. If, Ky- if I just, every time I looked at Kyla, it's like, man, she's always angry, she's always frustrated, she's always bitter, she's always resentful. Like, that is, that's difficult to lead anyone like that, nonetheless, someone who's living with you. So wives, I would say, are you winsome? Winsome means repent from just sin, and it might be sin directed towards your husband. I would also ask this question, and maybe this would be the most helpful, of if you don't have a husband who's currently leading, let me ask, are you praying for him? One of the things that motivates me is, and motivates Kyla as well, is there is no one on this planet uh, who's going to pray for me like Kyla can. There's no one who can pray for Kyla like I can and like I should. So wives, rather than stewing over what your husband's not, how often are you praying for him? I mean literally bending your knee, begging God on his behalf that God would lead him, that he would have a posture of humility before God, that he would follow God, that his character would be shaped and formed by Jesus. And I'm not talking about just praying as you're driving down the road, I pray my husband has a... I mean begging God on behalf of your husband. If you want to see your husband lead, if you want to see your husband grow in leadership, pray that into his life and let him know, honey, I am praying for you. I'm so thankful for you. Today I took an hour and I just prayed for you. You did? What did you pray for? Encourage your husband by being faithful to pray. Now, the reality is, wives, you might be in a situation or circumstance where your husband's a punk. He's totally sinning against God and absolutely sinning against you. He's rejecting his God-given role. He will be held accountable for that, meaning he will have to give an account to God for what he did not do with you. But regardless of what your husband is or is not doing in your relationship, that does not release you or relieve you of your God-given role. I really like how Peter says it in his letter, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husband so that... If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. You know what that says, wives? Your husband, regardless of whether he's walking in sin, walking away from God, should be able to look at you and see a picture of the gospel. He should be able, no matter how hard his, uh, hard his heart has gotten towards God, maybe even towards you, he should always be able to look his left or right and just see a picture of Christ-likeness in you. I'm not suggesting at all that this would be easy. If this is your situation, if this is your situation, I, I'm not acting like this is a piece of cake. But what I am saying is, wives, you are still responsible before God to walk with him, to still submit, to honor your husband. I don't know, it could honestly be that your husband just needs to look over at you and see a picture of Jesus in you, and that will inspire him to stop being so wayward. A wife who's a helper is beautiful. She is submissive. 
And then thirdly, I would say this. She's respectful. I like how Ephesians says it, uh, 5.33. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must, must respect her husband's. Generally speaking, women want to be loved, men want to be respected. I absolutely love that Kyla loves me, but what matters more to me is that she respects me. I know not every guy might agree with that statement, but generally speaking, there's a reason that the command is husbands love your wives, and the command is wives respect your husbands. Now, question for the wives. Do you respect your husband? Do you respect your husband? Well, do you tell him? Do you show him? If your answer to the question of do you respect your husband, well, let me phrase it like this. If I were to ask your husband the question, hey, does your wife respect you? What would he say? If you, your answer would be, well, I hope he would say yes, or I'm pretty sure he, he would say yes, or, well, he should say yes, it's a good question he probably wouldn't. If you're not convinced that you're showing respect to your husband, then it's a good chance he's probably not receiving respect from you. I know for me as a man, as a husband, as a pastor, it breaks my heart when I see wives disrespecting their husbands publicly. When they're in a group of women and they might be sharing something that is under the banner of, well, this is a prayer request, but could you guys please pray for me because my husband's a punk, he's not... You know, he's not a leader and he's just this big, fat, ugly sinner and he's not doing this, but please, will you, will you pray for him? What you're in essence doing is you're trying to get other women to feel bad for you of, wow, you, you just have it so bad. And by the way, if that's how you're publicly praying for your husband, that is not a prayer request God's going to answer. That is not a prayer request that pleases God because it's disrespecting to your husband to publicly speak poorly of him. Now, I realize that you might have a husband who's doing that. There is a time and a place to invite someone else to come alongside you, but it's not void of your husband. Women, do not, wives, do not disrespect your husband. Privately, meaning belittling him. Publicly, do not disrespect your husband. You might think in your head, well, He's not doing anything worthy of respect. Your command by God to you, your role, is to respect your husbands. Now, Kyle's going to share here in a second of two primary ways of how I receive respect. Now, guys, this might not be how you receive respect, but women, rather than me rattle off a list of how your husbands might feel respected, receive respect, just simply ask him. That is a respectful thing to do. Honey, how do you receive respect? What can I do to show you, to demonstrate to you that I respect you? That's a respectful thing. So today, wives, go to your husbands and ask them, how can I respect you? For me, it's verbally. Kyla shows respect for me through her verbal. Uh, and secondly, and we'll explain this in a second, uh, of her being a champion for me. It's not the only ways that I feel respected, receive respect, but my two primary ways that Kyla communicates and that I receive respect is through her verbals and through her being a champion. Women, I would say this. You honestly might be in a situation where your husband is not doing respectful things. But 
you have to know, is your respect conditional or unconditional? There is no clause in there where it says, if your husband does this, then you should respect him. Or when your husband does this, then you should respect him. There is no qualifiers in Ephesians 5.33. The wife must respect her husband. So statements like, well, I would, I would respect him if he would do this, or I would respect him if he would say this, or I would respect him if he would become this. That's disrespectful. Your role, your God-given role in his life is to communicate respect. And if you're disrespecting him, that's actually less of a statement about what you think about your husband and more of a statement about what you believe about God. If God has unconditionally given you everything you need, his love, his grace, not based upon your performance or lack of performance, but he's just graciously given you everything you need, then how could you ever look at the guy that you love and say, you're not worth this, you're not worthy of this. If you do this, then I'll give you this. God's never done that to you. So we are, wives are to respect their husbands unconditionally. Um, I know for me, and I think this would be true of all of us, it's God's unconditional love in my life. It's his grace unending. It's his mercy unending. It's his faithfulness unending that is leading to greater transformation in my life. Wives, the very thing that might lead to transformation, growth, maturity in your husband is your ability to unconditionally offer him a, a respect. God might use you respecting him unconditionally to lead towards greater transformation. Wives, this is the role. Capsulated in one word, to be a helper. Not because you're less, but because God wants to use you in this marriage relationship to accomplish his purposes. Helper can be understanding, pursue being beautiful. Pursue being submissive. And then secondly, um, as we've just been talking about, be active in respecting your husband. Uh, I want to invite Kyla to come up and um, to a just a huge welcome and applause. And I've wanted, uh, I want Kyla just to share, um, just I've, I'm going to ask her a few questions. And the heart of uh, Kyla is she's not the perfect wife. She does not have that attitude. Uh, I absolutely love my wife. I love that she is committed to growing into uh, being first and foremost a godly woman who is growing in being a godly wife. And I love her dearly, and she's learned a ton about what this role has looked like and how it's actually played out in the Davis household. And so I just wanted you to hear from her uh, about specifically, I think men, you can be encouraged by this, but specifically women, single or married, this is uh, for you to hear from her about how she's understand and kind of lived out uh, the role. Uh, so Kyla, uh, helper, as we've been talking about, is uh, pursuing beauty, uh, pursuing being submissive, and being respectful. So speak to or address the, the beautiful of how has beauty impacted you, so to speak, and how has you know, your pursuing beauty, biblical beauty, impacted us? Um, well, it's safe to say that I struggle on a daily and many times a day, probably basis of uh, trying to train my mind to believe the truth that beauty is not about whether or not I'm having a good hair day or whether or not I've picked out a good outfit or how I look in the mirror, but beauty is 
about what's going on with my character, what's going on inside, and am I connected to Jesus? Um, I think that's kind of uh, the mark for me is if I'm connected to Jesus, that's what's going to increase my beauty. When I'm connected to him, when I'm walking with him, I am aware of my sin, I'm confessing sin, I'm repenting from sin, I'm worshiping him with my life, I'm asking him to empower me to be the wife that he's called me to be. So um, it's safe to say that when we're walking with God, all of our relationships benefit, but especially the marriage relationship does. So I think the short answer to how has um, just my dealing with beauty impacted our marriage is that the short answer is when I'm connected to Jesus, our marriage benefits from that. And when I'm not, it's uh, destructive. Um, One thing I learned very quickly after we were married is that my sin does not occur in a vacuum. I like to think it does. I like to think that my sin is just between me and the Lord, and I can deal with him about that. Um, But my sin oozes all over everyone who's near me, and so Michael gets to experience that a lot. Um, Even when my sin is something that I think is not directly towards Michael, um, it's more of a heart condition that I have that still affects him. And so I'll give you an example because I think it's one that a lot of women struggle with, and I was even this morning, was um, anxiety. So I sin often with anxiety. I usually call it anxiety. I have much nicer words for it. I call it being overwhelmed or stressed because that sounds better. That actually sounds like I'm important. I have this long to-do list because I'm so important, and so I'm stressed about those things. But the truth is, is that it's anxiety, and what the root of that is that I'm not trusting God. So when I'm anxious, I'm not trusting God. I'm not going to him and asking him to help me um, to accomplish the things I need to accomplish. I'm not going to him and asking, should I even be trying to do all these things on my to-do list? There are probably things on there that God would eliminate that are things that I don't need to be doing. Um, But when I am anxious and stressed out, it affects Michael in several ways. first way is that it... um, just creates an atmosphere of tension in our home, and he works from home. His office is there, so he's more prone to uh, feel that. It also keeps me from being available to be his helper. If I'm so busy running around trying to do all the things that I think I need to be doing, then I'm not available to him. There's no way he's going to come to me when I'm frazzled and stressed out and ask me to assist him with something or help him with something. And what's funny is that a lot of times I think I'm doing things I think I'm doing them to help him, but I haven't even taken the time to ask him if these are helpful things. I'm just stressed out and busy doing them. Um, And the third thing I would say with anxiety especially is that it does not stop with anxiety. Um, Psalm 37 verse 8 says, Do not fret, it leads only to evil. Anxiety rarely just stays an internal sin. It spills out all over into other ways. It causes me to be short with Michael or impatient with the kids. Um, causes me to be critical of Michael or start complaining, things like that. So the, the cure for that is me fixing my eyes on the Lord and coming to him. So the greatest gift that I can give to my husband and even to my children, for that matter, is to make myself beautiful by cultivating a gentle and quiet spirit. And that happens when I'm connected with God, when I'm spending time in his word. And um, that's not easy to do. I have three kids, and um, so it's it's... I have to, something I have to fight for, and I have to be creative with, and I have to seek out ways um, to spend time with the Lord. But when I do, um, and I am spending time with the Lord, I have a right view of God. I have a right view of my role. Um, I'm aware, more aware of sin and less likely to do it, and I'm empowered by God.
to be the wife that he's called me to be. So our marriage benefits from my connectedness to Jesus. Hmm. Uh, women, this is just something you've got to fight for because uh, you live in a world that says being beautiful is so, something different than what God has declared beauty uh, to be. Um, I know it's one thing to kind of hear. I get beauty means it starts from the inner, um, but you really need to embrace that and fight for that. Uh, guys, uh, I was really shallow uh, before I got married, and what was most important to me was what I thought was most attractive. I am absolutely still attracted to Kylie physically. I think she's gorgeous, uh, but her beauty to me is so much more wrapped up in her character. Uh, I was the shallow guy. Uh, and if you are that guy still, uh, get over yourself that the most important thing is not what you physically see, uh, but in who she is. I'm not saying that it's not important to have an attraction, a physical attraction uh, for your spouse. We'll talk about that in a few weeks when we talk about nakedness. Um, but uh, I would say uh, understand beauty from God's perspective, both men and women, uh, and women fight for it. No one else is going to fight for it. For you. It's sad to me when I see so many women battling things like insecurity. Why on earth are you insecure? Because you weigh a certain number? Because why? And I, I love how Kyla said, if you are connected to Jesus, you have nothing to be insecure about. Because you are wholeheartedly loved. What on earth do you have to be insecure about? Don't bring that into the marriage relationship. It will rot you and it will rot that relationship. So get biblical beauty in your heart and head and then just fight like crazy. Um, Kyla has to live with an emotional dude. So Kyla, <laughs> I won't ask how that's impacted you. But uh, The submission. Uh, how have you understood that and just kind of how have you seen that play out for us? Yeah, I especially in the beginning of our marriage, submission was something that was pretty hard for me to wrap my mind around. It was hard to um, accept the truth that my role and my, the call for me to be submissive does not um, mean that I am less valuable, as Michael shared already. But I think what was really key for helping me to understand this was um, thinking about God and how Jesus submits to the Father. Um, that Jesus is the model of perfect submission, and we would never look at Jesus and think that he is less, that he is um, not as valuable because of that. That is his role, and he fulfills it completely. And uh, so understanding that and dwelling on that has helped me to understand submission. The other thing um, I would say that is, in the beginning, I kind of only viewed submission in terms of really big decisions. I thought, okay, well, when a really big decision comes up, where we're going to move and where we're going to live and what job Michael's going to have. If we disagree, I'll just have to submit. That's kind of how I viewed submission. Um, but God has been showing me over the years that uh, that is not all that, certainly that's a piece of submission, but it's not all that it means. And he wants me to uh, submit way more often than just when there's a big decision. That doesn't happen very often that you're making a new big life change like that. But submission needs to be occurring multiple times every day. And there's a verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, that's helped me to kind of understand how to flesh out submission. And it says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Submission is more of a posture of humility, considering 
um, other people as better than yourself. And this verse isn't even specific to wives. As Christians, we're to have this posture with others, but how much more so for our husband? Um, so what this looks like is that I'm um, seeking to consider Michael's opinions, Michael's preferences, Michael's uh, desires as more important than my own. It doesn't mean that I don't have preferences or that I don't ever get to talk about what I'd like to do. Um, what it means is that I die to myself and I um, consider his his preferences as more important than my own. And so here's just an example of um, how this practically works. Michael is spontaneous, and I am more of a planner. I'm not on the spectrum of planning. I'm not a huge planner, but more compared to him, I'm a planner. So um, if we're going out with the kids for a family day, for example, I usually want, before we head out the door, I want to kind of know where we're going and what we're doing so I can be prepared for all those things. Well, often we'll be in the car and Michael will just have a great idea of somewhere he wants to go that wasn't part of the plan. And I have a choice. I can either submit to that and uh, go along with it or I can hold tight to my plan and not want to give that up. Um, And I've learned that what God wants me to do is to submit to that, to consider his idea as more important than my own. Um, Now, I can fight for it and I can get my way, but there will be a cost to that. Um, Michael will be discouraged, you know, because he was excited. He had a great idea. The kids will miss out on something fun um, just because I wanted to stick to my plan. So it doesn't mean that we never get to do anything I want to do, but there are times when I just need to um, to die to myself. And, um, and I don't need to make a big production out of it. Like, all right, fine, we will submit to your, you know. <laughs> that's not submitting. That's manipulating and trying to still get your own way or to make it obvious that I'm submitting. I don't like it. Um, but really, my ability to submit to my husband is um, reflective of my ability to trust the Lord. Ultimately, I am submitting to God. God is the one who's commanded me to do this. And am I trusting God to lead my husband? Um, if I do not submit to him and don't um, come along, follow after his leadership, what I'm saying to God is, I don't trust you. I don't trust you to lead my husband to the place where we need to go, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to steer this ship the way that it ought to go. So when I'm submitting, what I'm doing is telling God um, that I trust him. Hmm. Uh, Guys, I would say if you're dropping the S word in, uh, in your marriage relationship, and that's often in your vernacular with your wife, uh, there's something wrong with your leadership. If you're constantly having to tell your wife, you need to submit to this, you need to submit to this, you really need to begin re-examining, well, gosh, how am I actually sacrificially, humbly as a servant leading uh, my wife? Uh, I've, I'm not saying I'm a great leader, but Kyle and I, I've never said, Kyla, listen, honey, <laughs> you need to submit to me on this and put a smile on your face and you're going to love it. Like, it's just... <laughs> never happened. Uh, We pray about things together. We seek the Lord together. I initiate some of those things, or I initiate those things, uh, but submission doesn't work where it's just a verbal, you must submit. Uh, It's a relationship, and I have a role. Kyla has a role. We work together to honor God and honor one another, uh, but it starts from a posture and a position of humility, not just on her part, uh, but on my part as well. Um, Kyla, lastly, what would you say about um, respect? Uh, generally, most women want to be loved, um, which I know is obviously important to you, uh, but for me, uh, for you to respect me. So how does that look like? Uh, practical examples of you know, how we do respect. Yeah. 
Well, I loved what Michael said about um, asking your husband what communicates respect to him, because even just the asking communicates that you respect him, that you're trying to do that. So um, for Michael, a couple things that I can do to practically respect him. One thing is that Matt, Michael's um, battles with discouragement, just getting discouraged. And so I have had to grow in encouragement, and I'm I'm terrible at this. It's not my thing. There are a lot of people who are just really great encouragers, and I am not one of them. So it's something that I've had to work at, something that I've had to pray about, and not just to pray to ask God to make me more of an encourager, but to show me specific ways that I can communicate respect and encouragement um, to Michael. And I've found that when I'm connected to Jesus, he does. He answers that. He'll give me a practical thing to do, whether it's to have me write a note to Michael or just say something to affirm him and um, what I see God doing in his life, how I see God gifting him, or just to show him physical affection or to make him a priority, things like that. Um, But I've had to grow and I have to continue. I have a lot of room to still grow in encouraging him. The other thing is uh, Michael referred to earlier is just by being his biggest champion. He is in a challenging role and he has plenty of faces plenty of critics, as all husbands do. They've got a lot of people criticizing them. They don't need someone else criticizing them. What they need is someone to be their biggest fan, someone to cheer them on, to um, encourage them and spur them on and remind them of the giftings that they've received from the Lord and what God wants to do through them. And so one way this plays out in our life is uh, Michael is a dreamer. He's a visionary, and that's how God has gifted him. He has lots of ideas all the time. Um, his dreams have been used by God to propel us forward in our marriage and our family have caused us to um, step out in faith and trust God for things that if he were not like that, we probably, I, I certainly would never have urged us to do those things. So, um, but he is very different from me in this. I am very practical. I'm a realist. I am not a dreamer. Um, so we balance each other out in this, but One thing I've had to do as a way to show respect to Michael is that I have had to learn to bite my tongue when he shares one of his dreams with me. I can't just immediately start explaining to him how that's not practical and this is not going to work and that's not going to work. He has coined a term for that. That is called me peeing on his dreams. (laughs) And so I have to really learn to to not pee on his dreams. When he shares, shares something with me that he's excited about and he's passionate about, it might not be completely practical. That's okay. This is a gift that God has given him, and um, our marriage uh, needs him to be a visionary. This church needs him to be a visionary. I need to encourage him in that and respect that gift. It's different from mine. That is not my gift, um, but I need to not pee on his dreams. Um, When I do, that's fine. I can do that and explain how practically these things won't work, but what the result is um, that he shuts down, and he's discouraged, and I have just disrespected Um, my husband. So it doesn't mean that I don't ever get to speak into things. Usually if dreams stick around for a couple weeks or so, then it's time to add in, you know, just a dash of realism. But I have to do that in a gentle, respectful way. Uh, Wives, you have to ask your husbands because your husband might be sitting next to you and be like, well, that's not how I receive respect. That's fine. We're all different. Uh, But the call is still to respect. And so I would encourage you, wives, uh, please take the time this afternoon uh, to go to your husband uh, and say, how do you receive respect and how can I uh, demonstrate, active demonstrate, uh, an active demonstration of that I do uh, respect you. Um, 
Wives, this is your role. Uh, this is not something man invented. This is not something uh, the first husband came up with because it seemed good to him. Uh, this is something that God came uh, in his design. Uh, this was his plan A, that the husbands had a very specific, unique role, and the wives were to have a very specific, unique role, really encapsulated in that one word, helper. Uh, you can understand how you help your spouse uh, through pursuing biblical beauty, through pursuing being submissive, uh, supportive, coming alongside, uh, and then thirdly, by uh, being active in respecting him. Uh, this is not an, the man doesn't have an easy role, and neither does the wife. Uh, but what I would say specifically for uh, the wife, if this is what God has called you to, then he will empower you to do it. So as Kyla said, and I love how she explained it, her connectedness, connectedness to Jesus, her position and her proximity uh, to Jesus will determine whether or not she's able to honor God, honor me by fulfilling her God-given role. I'd say that same thing for me as a husband. My connectedness, my, my position, my proximity uh, to Jesus enables me, empowers me uh, to do what God has called me to do. Um, so this is not optional. This is not just a, a good idea that, uh, that God has for spouses. Uh, this is God's design in marriage. If you're a husband, please embrace your role. Uh, honor God and honor your wife in doing that. Wives, honor God and honor your husband in embracing your role. And if you're single, male or female, and desires to get married, please understand what roles are before you enter into them and begin to have your character shaped and formed now so that when you do say, I do, you hit the ground running, not fighting, trying to, well, what are you going to do and what are you going to do type of, type of a thing. So, wives, I would ask you this as we close. Um, would you go to your husband today? Uh, and would you do the hard work and say, is there something that I can do better? Allow your husband to assess you, uh, as it were. Uh, Wives, I asked you last week for the husbands to come to you and give them an assessment of how they're doing as a husband. Wives, it's your turn. Would you go to him? And I'd encourage you, even if you're a, a fiancé and getting married, saying I do soon, would you go to your fiancé or your spouse, say, give me an honest but gentle assessment of how I am doing as a helper. Uh, and allow your husband, fiancé, to speak in, into how you're doing. He's the best referee. Uh, we often think in our heads we're doing something, but we're really not. So ask him how you're doing. And wives, if there's something specific that you heard today that God's been tugging on your heart, bringing that wave of conviction, would you respond to what God is talking to you about today? Because there might be something you honestly need to repent uh, of. It might be an attitude towards your husband, a behavior towards your husband. It might be an attitude towards God. Would you do that work today? I mean literally in this place before you even celebrate communion. Would you confess what needs to be confessed, repent of what needs to be repented, and then share it with your husband? Hey, God really spoke to me today that I've been doing this, and I see that it's crushing our marriage. I've been acting like this, and I see that it's utterly not helpful to you. I confess that to you. Will you please forgive me of that? And will you pray that I grow in this? Would you do that today? Because that's honoring to God, and it's honoring to your husband, and it's absolutely not healthy for you to carry that around any longer. Um, I want to pray and uh, invite uh, the worship team to come back up. But uh, uh, as we pray, we're going to celebrate communion. And uh, our heart is, as Kyla said, as I've been talking about, Jesus is the difference. Jesus is the difference in your relationship. Um, 
in, in the marriage relationship, but Jesus is also the difference in how we even have a relationship with God. If you're here and you are not a Christian, we would implore you, make the decision today to become a Christian, to submit, surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus. And if you are a Christian, then today, come celebrate communion. Give thanks to, to Jesus for who he is and for what he's done. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for uh, your goodness um, to us. Thank you, God, that uh, you love us. You demonstrated your love and that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to sacrifice his life for us, that we would have life now and eternal life, that our sins would be completely forgiven. So Jesus, if there's one person here today that has not invited you into their life. I pray that their hearts would be soft to receive you in this moment. Jesus, I just pray for uh, specifically the women that are here. Uh, God, I just ask that as you've been speaking to them about them, about their marriage, God, that you would give them your spirit, that you would give them the grace and the courage that they would need to respond to you in this place today. Because it might be repentance. So God, please give them the courage they need to repent to you and to their husbands. God, I just pray these last two weeks we've been talking about roles. God, I pray that uh, all of us would understand, and God, we would embrace our God-given roles. Those who are single, that we would not only seek to understand this moving forward, but we begin living these out in our singleness. And God, to those that are married, please stir in marriages here in this community, healthy enjoyable, beneficial, God-honoring marriages that husbands and wives would submit to you, Jesus, and the roles that you've given to us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're ready, come and worship. Uh, I'm going to be down here uh, at this first table to my left. I'm just going to reserve this table for those who just want some prayer. Maybe something that you want to bring your wife up and you want someone just to pray with you and your wife uh, that God would just breathe newness and health Come and pray. Or if you want to become a Christian and not sure how, come and just stand over this table with me and we can talk and we can pray together. But as you're ready, worship and come celebrate communion today. <laughs>